Well, it is my great privilege um, this morning to be here and to be able to um, preach this morning. Uh, Pastor Jeremy had asked me uh, to be able to do that this week and next week, and so uh, as he be, uh, gets ready for the next sermon series and that he will be that we will be launching on together uh, in two weeks. Uh, but these next two weeks, I get a chance to share with you and what God has laid on my heart, and so. Um, I want to, I, I kind of feel uh, Pastor Jeremy's done a good job in so many ways, and uh, I, I feel like some of the stuff that I'm going to say today or that the scripture is going to lead us towards, it's kind of a repeat, but I do feel like it's just, it's that type of season as a church uh, that we're in, and so I'm excited about uh, 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 leading us to what God's Word says in the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible, go with me to the book of Jude, and I'd like us to see something there. I, um, uh, my wife and I were watching a show here recently, and, um, and the show is about the pioneers uh, that are heading out um, basically from Texas uh, out to uh, out west, and they're uh, going to uh, Oregon is the ultimate jet, uh, destination, and so um, they're they're on this uh, uh, they're on this uh, trail ride, and so all the uh, wagons and all this type of stuff, and it's uh, a group of immigrants from Germany, and then it's uh, and then it's a family, a farmer family, and things like that, and so that's the show, right? Well, uh, during the show, um, they're getting to the first river crossing. I think it's the Red River, or the Brazos. I don't remember which one it is, but uh, they're getting to this river and they find out that the uh that the 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 wagons have too much junk in them right and so uh the uh the leader there the captain guy that's leading them the guide he he tells them he talks to the immigrants and he says look you you got to get rid of the junk uh only keep the essentials that are necessary for the journey right uh, these are the essentials and man there's a piano that gets tossed out there's a uh, uh, it's a bunch of tubs worth of stuff and furniture and furnishings that they had brought with them all the way from germany on the ship over uh, into the united states and then kind of carrying it that way so they just start unloading all this stuff because as they cross the river uh, the wagons got to float with the horses going through there and so uh, the heavier the wagon the more it's going to get bogged down in the mud and it's going to get stuck and uh, it's going to it's gonna, they're going to lose everything right and so so um, it got my wheels turned as I was thinking about it. It just, it aligns so well with the book of Jude because I feel like the book of Jude gives us some essentials. That's, that's what it comes to, the essentials in, in the Christian life. And kind of um, Jude's heart is such that he sees the, the Christian church, which at this point, uh, we're about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's probably uh, at the time, same time that Paul and some other contemporaries are doing some works and seeing the work of the Lord and that uh, the primitive church take off, and uh, a lot's going on, but there's also some struggles, and, and so I feel like uh, there's, they're, they're at a crossing, and here comes Jude, and he needs to share some things about the essentials, and he even talks about that as we're going to read through it, and, and we're going to read through the book of Jude this morning. I know that's a, that's a tall t ask this morning, uh, but I'm going to do it because I feel like it's worth it, but listen, if you don't know your Bible, the book of Jude is only 25 verses, okay? So, so it's not like we're going to be here until uh, 1 o'clock or anything like that. We'll be able to read through it and kind of see um, uh, the whole picture of the book of Jude. Now, a little bit of background on the book of Jude. Jude is, um, um, you know, it's uh, kind of the Greek name. In the, Old in the Old Testament, you would have heard the name Judah. And in the New Testament, you might hear the, word Ju the name Judas 
or, or Jude. And uh, um, just because there was one guy that ruined Judas, uh, he went, we go with the book with the name Jude, uh, but it is actually all the same name. It's all the same name. And so uh, Judah or Judas or Jude uh, is all the same name in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of people, a lot of characters, several characters named Jude or Judas in the Bible. This specific author, Jude, is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so um, he talks about it in his opening line there in verse number one. This is the letter of Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ or a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Well, that James is the same James that is a, the author of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And, uh, and here Jude uh, describes himself, gives us these, uh, this definition of himself. And so he's somebody who is, has an incredible testimony. I'll start there has an incredible testimony. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, the Bible tells us that none of Jesus' half-siblings, his half-brothers, half-sisters, believed in him until after the resurrection. And so the Bible tells us that this is somebody who, for a great percentage of their life, was not a Jesus believer, was not a Jesus follower. Uh, and yet he had an interesting life. He would have grown up in, a, in the Christian home that Jesus grew up in, yet nonetheless was not a believer, but came to the faith later on. And you'll notice that that is important as we read through this chapter because there are some things that I believe are some key indicators that help us to know the heart and the, and the passion that Jude had for uh, what God does in a person's life through the different journey that every Christian is on. And can I tell you this this morning, that you're here not by accident. You're here because God brought you here to Bethany Baptist Church on this morning. God has a purpose and a plan for all of us being here. And my desire is that as we look at scripture, that we'll be led to believe and to hear what God is wanted to share with us in regards to the essentials, the essentials. And that's what I want to deal with. Now, uh, in your, on the screen and in your Bible in front of you, you, may, you might have a King James Bible. You may have uh, a new international version. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation only because I believe it just gives us some language that gives us a fuller picture. So if you have that, if you're on the version app, uh, some of you younger generation, you can go to the New Living Translation. If not, I'm just going to read the 25 verses just because it reads more naturally um, through the New Living, and then we'll pray and ask for God's direction, and then I'm going to give you uh, a five U letters, okay? Five U letters, uh, five U words, excuse me, that all begin with the letter U, and, uh, and those five things will be what we'll look at this morning uh, uh, in regards to the essentials, in regards to the essentials. I believe it's the heart of what Jude is trying to share with us. Um, it says this, it says this is a letter from Jude, verse 1, like I said, you'll see a little bit different on the screens, but that's okay, whatever version you have in front of you, just read that or look at that as we're reading through this so that we get the full picture. This is a letter from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. I am writing to you all of who have uh, been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Um, by the way, you'll notice that he finishes that phrase with a, a peace, uh, uh, with uh, excuse me, mercy, peace, and love. Um, it's a it's a writing style that jo that Jude uses a lot. It's 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 doing things in threes, and so uh, he was like a lot of good Baptist preachers, right? Three three points, you know, uh, three things uh, alliterated or whatever. No, he just does three points, but it's a lot of what he does. A lot of speaking in that way. So you'll notice kind of that, uh, whether it be words or thoughts uh, being done in threes, uh, it's a part of the style that Jude brings and says dear friends i have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share but now i find that i must write about something else all of a sudden life and the christian life and what's going on around uh, jude um impulsed him drove him 
Um, you, he came to the river, and he realized there were some things in the wagon that didn't need to be there, but there were some other things that needed to be dealt with. And this morning, we find ourselves here at a point of needing to look at the essentials, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly have, uh, people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them and left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at, these, at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them and so bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with, their, uh, with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are uh, doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by their roots. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam in their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of the ungodly things they have done and for the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times, there were scoffers whose purpose in life was to satisfy their own ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him, who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, your preserved truth that communicates your heart, communicates your mind, and brings to our lives what we need. Father, I thank you that this morning your spirit can take your word alone and can do the work. 
Father, unworthy am I to stand behind this pulpit were it not for your grace, were it not for your mercy. But Father, I thank you because you are a loving God. And because this morning you give us an opportunity to examine ourselves, which is what Jude calls us to do, and to evaluate the essentials in our lives. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just guide our thoughts and lead us to be able to be led by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Jude comes to a point where he says, this is necessary. This is essential. In a, in, a, in, a, in a world full of all kinds of things that can fill up our lives, there are some things that we need to re-examine. And can I tell you this morning, in the next 15, 20 minutes, my desire is to help us to look at these things quickly and to evaluate and to take with us some thoughts that you can use in the days ahead to evaluate. And I know I spoke a few uh, weeks ago about how to have a fresh start and, and those kind of things, but you know, these essentials, you know, they're always necessary, uh, whether it be a, a, the beginning of a new year, whether it be uh, a time of a transition in a church, whether it be uh, maybe in your own life, a, a time of revival or, or a time of, your, of, of challenge, whatever the situation is, these are important for us to, to be able to carry forward and to see how it is that God can do a great work in us. Jude says in verse number three, beloved, when I gave all diligence to you, and I'm, right, I'm reading out of the King James now. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to you, uh, to write unto you of the common salvation. You know, um, in the other books um, that maybe Paul wrote or things like that, uh, that was a, a big tone that Paul would leave. It's just this, necessi this necess necessity or this essential uh, component of unity. Unity. So number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down unity. This is essential. Do you realize that in the, in, the, in the Christian life, one of the greatest challenges that we have in the year 2022 has been uh, the, uh, um, the, the breaking apart of the fellowships of churches. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, across denominations, across church groups, across uh, demographics, across uh, ge geographic locations, uh, if you talk to spiritual leaders, to pastors, you will hear this reality time and time said again, man, it's hard to get people back into church. It's hard to get people back to come back after the pandemic. Man, it seems like we've lost 25%. We've lost 30%. It's just, and you know, it's a danger and it's an essential part of the Christian life. Unity. Unity in the form of corporate unity of coming together. Unity in the form of uh, the centered around the truth of the gospel. If you notice with me in verse number three, it says there, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Unity was brought about uh, both there and now through salvation, through the unity of the gospel. Dear friend, dear Christian, this morning, can I tell you this morning, it is essential for you to have a deep understanding and a complete understanding of the gospel. You know what's so awesome this morning? That it doesn't matter whether you are 10 years old, 15, 20, 25, whatever age you are, whatever point in life you are, understanding the gospel is simple and straightforward. It's the reality that Jesus Christ, 
was the Son of God, and He came to this earth. He took the sins of the world upon His shoulders, and 2,000 years ago, He allowed those Roman soldiers to crucify Him to a cross, and on that cross, He paid for your sins and my sins, and upon that cross, He paid the ultimate price that we could never pay, and three days later, he rose from the dead, being God in the flesh and having the power to overcome sin and death. And on the third day, he rose again. And that is the gospel. And this morning, in those Sunday school classes of the three and four-year-olds, that's being taught. And this morning, with the class of the five and six-year-old, that's being taught. And the reality is, is that the, the gospel is easy and straightforward to understand. And then it is the cohesion that brings us together. It is the, the, the basis of the unity. And it is essential in the Christian life for us to be gathered together in unison and behind the gospel, that common salvation. Jude says this is important. Notice the language that Jude has. Um, he's speaking to a troubled church. He's going to describe the troubles that it has. Uh, can I tell you something that as I look across the spectrum of the church at large in 2022, I, I find some problems, <laughs> find some issues. But it's wonderful the language that Jude uses because it reminds us of the heart of God. He says there and, and many times th thereafter, he says, beloved, in, in the New Living, it says, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, beloved, beloved, beloved. He continually refers to them in this tone. You realize that that's coming from that unity. It's coming from the understanding that we all fall short, but the gospel is enough to, to overcome all of who and what we are in and of ourselves. And what a wonderful reality to look at that essential component of the Christian life, unity. Dear friend, it is something that is needful. It is something that is an essential part. For you and I, you realize that that's sometimes some of the most important reason why you should be sharing the gospel with your coworker, with your friend from work, uh, why you should be sharing the gospel with somebody at school, uh, with your family member on the weekend when you're in front of the barbecue pit or when you're in the living room or in the kitchen, wherever you are to share. Because it creates in you that knowledge of what unifies us in the faith. It's the salvation, the gospel, the truth of the most essential element of the Christian life the gospel. See, the more you share that, the more secure you are in what you have believed. And the more sure you are in, in being able to say, yeah, this is what I experienced. It was the forgiveness of my sins. It was that Jesus died for me. I do believe that cross is more than a religious symbol. It is the, it is the, the reality that that is where my sin was paid and where uh, ultimately, ultimately uh, the, the suffering that was laid up for me was, was, was imparted upon Jesus Christ. And man, uh, that understanding, it, it grows in us as we understand and share that a, a gospel message, that common salvation. It is a unifying theme. It is a unifying essential reality. This morning, dear friend, can I encourage us to be unified in the gospel? Can I encourage us to be able to be um, uh, cheerleaders for when the gospel is advancing, right? And as we look around us, we should all get excited. Um, man, why, why do we, why, uh, I know last Sunday night, if you were here for the business meeting, uh, you would have seen a chart that said, this many salvations, this many salvations. Well, why do we put that up there? Because we care and we should get excited about the advancement of the common salvation that we have. 
It's what unifies us. It's what brings excitement as part of the faith, the unity that we have in the gospel. First thing essential is to be together in unity. Not only that, it goes on to say, for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Again, that reality of it is the basis for the faith. Uh, the salvation came before the faith. The salvation reinforces and, 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 and is the, the, the foundation on which the faith builds. Uh, it, is, it is first, it is that a first essential component. It was delivered to us, to the saints, because there it would have been just three decades before Jesus had come and had shared with those 12 disciples that this was the reality that was going to carry the church forward. Even as he left the church with its um, commission to go forward unto all the world and preach the gospel, it was going to be that essential core of what everything else was going to be built around and on. It was the unity in the gospel. It's essential number one. Verse number four gives us essential number two. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Uh, verse number four in New Living says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. <laughs> some graphic language there. Number two, we find here this essential. Be careful with being unaware. Be careful with being unaware. We need the unity in the gospel, but then we need to grow in that understanding of the gospel. We need to grow in that education of the gospel because why? Because if we're not careful, we can become unaware, unaware. One of the greatest examples I have of that is uh, my dad. He's a, he's, a, he's a man that when we were kids, he would constantly bring to our attention, to our awareness, things around us. We would, we would go to a football game or to a basketball game to an arena where there would be tens of thousands of people. We'd walk in, all of us boys excited to see those professional athletes do what they do with their amazing talent. And dad would always seem to point out that there were thousands of people and I wonder where they're going for eternity. It would make us aware. Dad would sit down and watch a movie with us and we would be watching a movie and all of a sudden next thing we knew is that dad had either paused it or there would be a commercial break or something and dad would ask a question that would point out a wrong philosophy in that show or in that movie because he wanted to make us aware, aware. You see, because there's a danger in the Christian life of being unaware and it is essential to not be unaware. It is essential. So many Christians go through their life and they just, hey, I'm here on Sunday and I'm here part of the worship, but man, the rest of the week we live unaware of what's going on. And Jude says, Christians, church, be careful. Because it's essential for you to be aware of what's going on. The danger that he points out in verse number four, he's pointing out towards uh, a, a group, a leader, a, 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 an organization, if you will, because he says a certain men, he uses the plural. Uh, he's saying these ungodly men, uh, there, there are, uh, there's a group of them, there's a, there's a movement of them that is bringing about this confusion, bringing about this wrong teaching, this wrong ideology. And I, won't, I don't have time to explain it, but there, he's talking about wrong philosophy, a wrong way to look at God's grace and God's forgiveness. And, and he's talking about these wrong ideas. But 
But the main principle that he's talking about is the essential to not be unaware. The essentialness of awareness. And dear Christian, can I tell you, can I encourage you in your life to dedicate time in your week to fill yourself with filters that will capture uh, what's going on in your mind, in your eyes, and be able to say, hey, is that the right thing? Is that the right thought? Whether it be uh, you're struggling with, with, uh, with uh, depression, anxiety, whether it be that you're struggling uh, in your marriage, in your home, whether it be that you're struggling with whatever it is, uh, this tells us we need to be aware of what's going on. Aware of what's going on. Because the lie doesn't come at us straightforward. The, the deceitfulness of those uh, wrong philosophies, it doesn't come at us straightforward. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor John? Well, in, in the New Living, it says there in verse number four, it says, uh, I say that these ungodly people have wormed their way into churches. Now, for us non-farming folks or non, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what, gardeners or whatnot, you know, have you ever seen a worm worm its way in the dirt? If you're not careful, it's just... It, it disappears. It was there, and then it's gone, and it doesn't even look like it was there before. But all oh, the damage they do to that root system, all oh, the things that they can do to be able to completely dismantle a garden. The deceitfulness of the great deceiver, which that's how he's described in Scripture, if you remember the devil many times, the deceiver, unaware, unaware. He worms his way in, and here, obviously, it's speaking to the church and to spiritual leaders who had uh, co contaminated the truth of the, of the gospel and how they were presenting it. It wasn't what Jesus had left, what Jesus had taught. It wasn't the truth and faithful to the scriptures, and he's saying, but here we can apply it, and we can say, hey, I need to be examining my life. I don't want to go through my life unaware, unaware. It's essential for me to be aware of what's going on. It's essential. It says, for these certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. I looked up, if you, if you want to do that with me, you can do that. Uh, I looked up the word ungodly. I wanted to see the definition of it. And, and uh, in Google, one of them, it says denying or disobeying God. Man, if that doesn't describe much of our world today. Denying or disobeying God. Either a world that seeks to turn its back entirely on God, or a world that says, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but no, we're going to... This direction. It's essential for us not to live or listen to the ungodly. We have a need for unity. We have a need to not be unaware. We have a need to be careful with the ungodly. Verse 17 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. He continues to reiterate that ungodly terminology to, to highlight the reality that these are those that disobey or deny God. Notice that uh, this isn't uh, somebody who, oh, they want to go to the 9 o'clock service instead of the 11 o'clock service. Man, this isn't somebody who, who uh, man, well, he doesn't wear the right kind of clothing or he doesn't he doesn't do this or she doesn't do that no these are people who are denying and disobeying outright who god is and what god is oh we need to be careful with the ungodly 
it is essential. It is when we come to those moments where uh, nothing else can go with us forward, it is essential that we carry with us this awareness of, 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 of what's going on, the philosophies, but it's also aware for us to be aware of the ungodliness that is in us and in around us and that we point it out and that we deal with it and that we say, no, that's not how I want to be. That's not what I want to be. I don't want to be a denier of God's of God or a disobeyer of God ungodly denying disobeying dear friend this morning as we look at the essentials that are necessary for going forward it's essential for you not to live ungodly or to be around ungodliness if in your life you are allowing ungodliness to be part of it then it's something that needs to be confessed and forsaken it's something that needs to be dealt with and God help us to deal with it Verse 21 goes on, and my time is slipping away. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Man, if I can think of it this term, those last two words, unaware and ungodly, they're kind of negative connotations. Here, these last two take us to the positive, and we end on a good note. We end on the reality that God's love is unending. God's mercy is unending. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 22 says this, and I believe this is almost a personal testimony of the author in this case. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Can I tell you something? Remember, if you remember the testimony of the author, it would have been somebody who grew up in the same home as Jesus Christ, grew up in that same Christian home, but rejected the faith for many decades of his life. And here it comes to a point where he says, look, this is essential. It's essential to be reminded of God's unfailing love and God's unending mercy, his unending love and mercy. And he invites us to live that out ourselves. That's what, that's what the author is doing. He's saying, it's a central church. Remember, he's talking to the church. Verse number one and number two tells us, look, I'm writing to you that are sanctified by God the Father. Those of you that are preserved in Jesus Christ. Those of you that are Christians, I'm writing to you and I'm saying, this is essential that you focus on the unending mercy and love of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. Of some, verse number 22 says, have compassion. Uh, I like the way it says in the, in the New Living, it says there in verse 22, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You, it's essential. You must show mercy. Can I tell you, dear friend, that the Christian church of the year 2022 will make the biggest difference and will be able to make an impact in our world by demonstrating, showing, and living God's unending mercy and love. That's what we'll do it. It's what would do it, what would do it in the year 67, 68 AD, and it's what will do it in the year 2022. It's essential. If we're going to be able to press on, if we're going to be able to make a difference, it's going to be focusing on the unending love and the unending mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The author, perhaps thinking to his mind of all those times where he rejected who Jesus was. But there came a point in his life. Maybe this morning you're among that group that was from childhood walking in God's path. 
Maybe you're among that group that came later on in life. In either case, verse 22 is for us. Either to live that out or to use it as a testimony to what was done for us. Of some have compassion. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Oh, it's so easy to live in a judgmental mindset and a worldview. God's word tells us that as Christians, it's essential for us to focus on God's unending mercy and love. Unending mercy and love. Why? Because the end result will be others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. By our very act of showing mercy and love and compassion, by us living out that essential component that Jude leaves us, that the early church lived out and was able to see the great results of it, by us doing that, then we too will see God's power and God's love and God's mercy making a difference in our lives and in those around us because we are willing to have that essential component that Jude calls for. Unity. A lack of awareness, unaware. A lack of godliness, ungodly, which means we have to shun both of those things. But praise be to God that we have an unending love and an unending mercy with which to fall upon. And you say, what is the backdrop for all of that? Well, the author finishes with two mighty powerful verses at the end of Jude. And here I describe it as being undeserving, undeserving. When I think about the reality of what Jude is getting at, he's saying, look, church, you've messed up. You've let these wrong ideas and philosophies in. You've let these wrong leaders in. Man, look at what's happening. Man, uh, they're deceiving some. Man, this is going on. Man, you're living this way. Man, you're allowing ungodliness to be part of your life. Man, you need to realize that, man, though you've messed up, you have a God who, who is, uh, has an unending love, unending mercy, and he calls you back, and he continues to reach down and try and do something to capture your heart. But wow, you say, well, how, how did... How does, why does God do all that? How is it that that is reality? Well, verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You say, but Jude, you're talking to the people that just listened to the wrong leaders, that just allowed them to become leaders, that are practicing these wrong things. Yes, but in the grace of God, God has preserved you. In the grace and mercy of God, God is protecting you. Oh, keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Love the way it says in the New Living, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. Remember a few verses before, he said, uh, you must show mercy to those whose faith is unwavering. Now he is demonstrating it to the same church that had these errors and had these problems. Oh, uh, verse 16 earlier talked about these people are grumblers, complain complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves. They flatter others to get what they want. Who is he talking about? He's talking to the very readers that are reading this, to the very churches that are there. He's letting them know, hey, look, you've strayed away. This is the wrong ideas. These are the wrong philosophies. But you have a God with unending love and mercy. Come back to him. And then he's showing and demonstrating that same undeserved mercy and grace. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away will bring you with great joy. Whose joy? His joy. 
He joys in showing us mercy and grace. He joys in knowing that he can preserve us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why the essentialness of the gospel must be present. Because it is the only way in which all of us here have any chance and any hope. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, and power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Man, I, again, ending with a three-thought statement. All of these things, the glory, the majesty, the power, and the authority are his before all time. Why? Because he's the God that inhabits eternity. He was there before the world was ever created, and he created it. He has all glory, power, and majesty before time. In the present, it says there in the second phrase, and then beyond all time. What powerful words to leave to the church. Jude wanting to say, this is essential. This keep in your wagon. This take with you on the journey. In that show we're watching, there's an argument going on um, between some of the immigrants and the captain at this stage of the movie, the show, and they're arguing. He says, how can he be a musician if he leaves his piano? How can, how can he be a, a, a carpenter if he leaves his tools there? And the captain looked at him and says, you need to understand something. From this point forward, you're not a carpenter. He's not a musician. You're all pioneers, and all there is is the journey. I feel like Jude gets the Christians and he says, guys, this is all about the gospel. It's about the church. And you've been saved by a glorious, merciful God. You need to focus on the ultimate goal here, the essential. That's all there is. As he finishes that last phrase of that last verse, he's saying, that's all there is. His glory, his majesty, his power, his authority. It's what was before there was time. It's what there is now. And it's what will forever be. So as you look at the big picture of stuff, this is essential. It's the unity. It's being aware, not letting unawareness creep into our lives. It's being careful with ungodliness in our life and in those around us. It's relying and resting on the unending love and mercy of God. And it's understanding that all of it comes undeserved because of a great, gracious, powerful God. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, there's a church before me that has struggles. Lord, there's a church that much like the early church needed of your grace, needed of your mercy. And Lord, you expressed it and you gave it to them. And Father, you are still here 2,000 years later extending that mercy and grace to each one of us. Lord, I don't know, maybe in our lives there's some unaware philosophies that have crept in, wormed their way into our lives. All of a sudden, next thing we know is we're not doing what we ought to do. We're not thinking the way we ought to think. And we've allowed wrong philosophies and ideas to creep into our life. Man, maybe they've even led to the point of ungodly living. We've outright, outright denied you or we've outright disobeyed you and we're living in disobedience. Oh, Father, break us. 
Father, you don't break us with the hammer of guilt and shame. You break us with mercy and love. That undeserved mercy and love that is poured out and given to us. Lamentation says that every morning your mercies are new. Father, even this day, we need of your mercy. We need of your grace. We need of that unending love. And Father, there is nothing we can do to deserve it. But having received your precious salvation, we have access to the great and powerful gospel. And Father, may that be ever the driving force in all that we do and all that we are. May you receive all the power, all the glory. May you receive, Father, all that you are. May we rest in the reality that we don't deserve a bit of it. But, Father, we know that. And yet you still extend all of that to us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor John, what are you driving at this morning? Well, I'm driving at, do you have essentials? Do you, do you focus on the essentials in your Christian walk? Is that part of what's making up your day-to-day walk? When you go and you wake up tomorrow morning, is it the thought of, man, the gospel changed me. Do I know more about it this week? Do I know more about it today? Am I re- realizing what's going on in my mind and in my heart? Is ungodliness a part of my life? Is there sin that I need to confess and forsake? What's going on there? I'm encouraging you. To realize that you have a God that has an unending mercy and love, but that he is using that to call you towards him. And this morning, maybe you're a child of God, maybe you're not, but he's still inviting you to come towards him. In order to make that first step, you need to rely on him to become your savior and to confess your sin and forsake it and to say, God, I need you to first of all become my Lord and Savior, resting on the work that you did on the cross of Calvary, resting on that you paid for my sins. I want you to become my Lord and Savior. That's the first step to walk towards him. And maybe somebody here needs to make that first step. Maybe somebody here this morning needs to say, no, I I made that first step, but boy, have I strayed away. I've wormed my way into wrong ideas and philosophies in my life, in my heart, in my marriage, in my home, in my personal walk. And I need to confess that, forsake it, get right with God, rest on his unending love and mercy, and go forward in that undeserved grace that God has bestowed upon.